Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. We praise you in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. So we've been in a little bit of a series um, for the last few weeks, and that series is, is centered around a phrasing intention of creation. Now, many of us, we understand, maybe have an understanding of, of kind of the biblical aspect of where creation started in Genesis. But for those who don't, I'll kind of give you like a really Cliff Notes version of what I'm talking about. See, there was intended creation of man in Genesis in which man was created to have dominion and, and be with God. And then Adam just messed it all up for all of us. And then what happens is the Old Testament is God consistently tries to kind of redeem the intent of creation and what he does is makes a covenant with one man who then becomes a nation. However, all throughout the Old Testament, what we see is there's just wickedness, disobedience, and people walking away from that covenant. Fast forward to the New Testament. The New Testament essentially is this new Adam enters into the scene who will bring about redemption for all of creation. And in doing so, Jesus sacrifices his life to absolve that old covenant with man and to write a new one with God in which the words aren't just on pages, they're on your heart. That his presence is not just from prophets or in the temple, but it's a Holy Spirit that resides inside of you. And so what we talk about today, right, is what does this intended creation mean for us and some different aspects of intended creation. So last week we talked about what treasure is within the aspect of intended creation. And today what I want to talk about, and it's, it's kind of a little bit off, uh, it's kind of a rabbit trail, but it's fine because if you know me or if you've been here long enough, you know that I enjoy a, a thorough rabbit trail. Um, but what I want to talk about today is something, and I'm calling it the stiff neck syndrome. Stiff neck syndrome. How many of you guys ever woke up with that pillow and something happened and you were like, dear God, what happened last night? All of us. It's like, you like, I like go up to my wife. I'm like, get lotion, get the massage gun, get icy hot, get 14 pairs of hands. It's like, it's like funny. The last time I had one of these, my dad was in town and we had a tea time. If you know me, you know, I'm a big golfer and I'm like, can I do this? Yes, I can. Made it nine holes was unbearable. Like a stiff neck trying to swing a golf club was ter- I like looked at him and I'm like, Dad, I know you spent $200 a piece on this tea time. <laughs> it's like, however, there is no way I can swing this golf club anymore. Right? We all know when we have like that stiff neck. But I, I remember one where I like took it a step further from stiff neck where I sprained my neck. Uh, back in Michigan, I used to go way too hard in beach volleyball. By way too hard, I, if you couldn't tell, I'm like a 0 to 10 guy, and in sports, it's like a 14. However, I am experiencing guys here that have a, a, a higher level than that in intramural sports, which is very interesting. Also, the flag football girls, I don't know if they're in here. <laughs> literally, they came like two weeks ago and literally had bruises all over their body. I was like, what happened? They're like, flag football. <laughs> like... It had a bruise like that since literally eighth grade. Anyway, uh, but what I was going to say is, is I, I remember I was playing beach volleyball and I dove and this is the first time I ever felt old and fragile, which if you couldn't tell, I'm 49, 31. Uh, but I dove for uh, the volleyball and when I hit the ground, 
I like dove to dig it out of the sand. And when I hit the ground, my elbow hit and it shot up into my neck. And I remember like kind of like rolling over and feeling really dazed. And I was like, man, what, what is going on? And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, you turn with your neck like this, right? All of a sudden I'm not turning with my neck. I'm turning with my body. And then that, as, as the day went on, it got worse and worse to where I went to a chiropractor and he's like, Hey, you actually need to go to the ER. Cause I, with your mobility, I want to check and make sure you don't have any fractures, which I didn't. I had just had a severely sprained neck and was in a collar for like a week and a half. And it was awful, all from volleyball. I'm like, I am a 65 year old man made of glass. Um, so, but anyway, we all know the pain of that stiff neck where you're like, man, I slept wrong. Man, like something's, ugh. But in the Bible, believe it or not, and this is where this entire sermon comes from. I was so fascinated by this phrasing, and I've actually preached a little bit of this sermon before, but I kind of rewired it for our congregation. But I was so fascinated by the fact that throughout the Old and the New Testament, there is this term, stiff-necked people. All throughout it. And, and you have to realize that the spans of which I'm talking about are over 1,500 years in which it's talked about these, these reference points of stiff-necked people. Now, for some of us, we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, how could they be sleeping on pillows back then and get a stiff neck? We're not talking about that. What I want to talk about today, and really it comes from, and I'm going to do a ton of content, biblical content. So for you Bible nerds, we're going to go hyperspeed through a lot of it, okay? So, but before we do, I want to introduce the meaning of stiff neck in the Bible, now, there's, there's kind of different debate on what stiff neck means. I know uh, one guy I really respect, and I run through all of his Hebrew commentaries, is Robert Alter. And he says the simplest explanation of the term stiff-necked is a suggestion of rigid pride. Instead of bowing the head when submission was appropriate, the stiff-necked person remains presumptuously and defiantly postured against bowing in reverence. So he kind of introduces this phrase around like, listen, when, you, when you're meeting somebody respectable or somebody who's above you in authority, instead of bowing in reverence, you fight that. And you don't bow in reverence or respect, you fight in absolution to stand in your pride of trying to find equality with that person. Which is interesting because when you think about it, if I was to venture to say disobedience or sinfulness, really, if we boil it down, what he's saying is it's God telling us to do something. And instead of us bowing and saying, all right, I'll follow you, my king or my Lord, we stand resolute, unwilling to bow. The second one, though, and this one is, is I feel like the best picture of stiff-necked oxen. Uh, most of the Old Testament is written in an agronomic society. What would happen is is oxen would plow the fields. There were no John Deere tractors. And what would happen, though, is that oxen, if they got stiff-necked, how they actually plowed with oxen, and listen, this is where it's fascinating, um, is they would plow the ground, and in order to uh, prod them in the right direction, right, there would be a, a literal wood pole, okay, and on the end would be an iron spike, 
So in order to change the direction of the oxen or change the speed, what they would do is they would tap this peg that would go into the hind leg of the oxen that would either prod it in a different direction or tell it to maintain speed or slow down. And so what happened is, is on the plow, this contraption was built in so that as the oxen was going, right, if, if they needed to change direction, they would prod it in the hind legs with an iron pole. How many of you guys know? Sounds really pleasant. And then that would be how they direct it. Now, when, they dis- when it was stiff-necked, what they were saying was is that the oxen was stiffening its neck and stiffening its legs so that it would not respond to the direction of the plower. So essentially, get the picture of this. It's literally an oxen that is going with an iron peg being driven into its leg, and it's not changing. It's not changing direction. It's not following speed. It's not listening to the one who's driving the plow. It just keeps going. Stiffening itself against the iron peg, drilling into its leg over and over, it maintains its direction. Or could I say it like this, as a fool returning to its, as a dog returning to its vomit, a fool to the foolishness. God driving that peg into the leg of his people saying, respond, follow, listen, and revere my commands. Yet, we still go forward. Stiff-necked people. Where this starts, though, for me is Acts 7.51. Stephen, which if you know is really the first um, just catastrophic martyrdom after Jesus' death. If you follow him throughout Acts, what you see is that he has this elevation from not just, he starts out in this place of being holy and then comes up and is like this cook for all of the people. And then after he becomes the cook, he's, he's kind of like starts stepping out in ministry. And this is kind of what's happening is this, and I've done a different teaching where if you look at the descriptions of Stephen, it's wild. It's like full of power, full of authority, like full of the spirit, all of these things. And he's like the apostles are like, all right, you look good enough to to hand out the food. But in this particular instance, Acts 7, he gets into this huge discourse with all of the Pharisees, and in doing so, he says one statement at the tail end. Immediately, and what he does, and it's wild, as he goes through from the beginning of time until Jesus and where they're at now, he goes through this wide discourse about where and how they went wrong. However, this one statement, and this is what I want to read, immediately after this statement is said, it says that they gnash their teeth and grab stones and are like, all right, you do, what did he just say? All right, he's dead. And this was the statement. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers do, so do you uncircumcised in my in mind and ears let me rephrase this as you don't have the marking of the covenant upon you you don't follow what it means to be in covenant with god essentially what he does is he runs through this entire discourse and then paints a picture of disobedience and wickedness and quotes stiff-necked people now here's where it gets interesting Some of you guys are like, okay, well, we already have the picture of the oxen with the iron peg driven into the back legs. But let's reference some points of stiff-necked in the Old Testament. 
Acts 32, 7 through 9, or the famous phrase of, hey, let's build a golden calf and call it God. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This is literally Moses with the Ten Commandments. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I've commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Exodus 33, 3 in verse 5. God quoting himself as so holy he can't be among the wickedness because of, guess what, let's read. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Notice that we're not singling out sin here, disobedience, wickedness. We're signaling out a posture in which we do not obey the direction of God. We don't obey the covenant of God. We don't follow in submission to when that peg directs us on a way to go. How many of us know a friend where you're like, hey, I can, we can all sit in these chairs right now and think of friends where you're like, man, they, ha- they have had the iron peg in their leg quite often and have not responded. <laughs> And what's interesting to me is as somebody in ministry, it's easy for me to say that. But even writing this sermon, I was reminded of, okay, God, I haven't responded to these. I apologize. I'm sorry. But how many of us have taken inventory of a, of a certain area of our life where God is driving the iron peg into the hind leg and saying, hey, that's not the direction I want you to go. That's not the speed. That's not the pace. That's not where I'm wanting to take you. Let's continue reading. It says this, verse 5, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Moses and, and God go on to reference the children of Israel in consistent disobedience around the phrasing of stiff-neckedness in Exodus 34.9, Deuteronomy 9.6, 9.13, and 31.27, depending on what translations you read. It is a statement that follows God's people all throughout the Old Testament. Even King David in 2 Kings 17, 14. Before he's raised up as the deliverer, it says this, but they would not listen, but were stubborn, stiff-necked as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. It's also referenced in King David's time in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8, and Proverbs 29, 1. This one is a personal favorite. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. In other translations, it literally says, for those who remain stiff-necked, they will be broken beyond repair. How many of you guys know that just... it? And once again, I'm trying to not paint this picture of like... Hyper like, hey, get on track or else you're going to be broken beyond repair. Because what obviously we know is we're reading this Old Test through an Old Testament lens and there's kind of this new covenant. But even more than that, there is still things that we can learn from the understanding that for some reason through generation after generation after generation, this syndrome of stiffening up against the commands of God, the lifestyle of God. The covenant of God. 
stiffening up when it gets too close to our comfortability. Too close and too costly to the change that he wants for us that we don't want necessarily for ourselves. See, we want to proclaim the covenant, but not change into the image of the one who purchased that covenant. Let's continue to read. It says this. The major and minor prophets even use them. And you can find this term in Nehemiah 9, 16, 17, and 29. But my personal favorite is Jeremiah 7, 23 to 27. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you will walk in all the way which I commanded you, that it may be well with you. How many of you guys know that's an amen one? That's an amen verse right there. That's like one where you get tatted it somewhere. (laughs) Yet they did not obey or inclined their ear. I love this right here, the posture, but walked. Remember the iron peg? But walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward, not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them, yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. Isn't it interesting? So when we jump back, which I'm not going to read it, but jumping back to Acts 7, when he's looking at the Pharisees and he says, you stiff-necked people, what do you think they're conjuring up? Pharisees, experts in the law, experts in the major and minor prophets, experts in the time of King David, experts from the scribes and the writings, The only people who had access to the written words of God in that day and time. What do you think when he says stiff-necked people, all of a sudden they're getting images of generations after generations of which God said, you stiff-necked people, I can't even be among you unless I would consume you in the Old Testament time. What am I trying to say today is what got him killed was not the challenge of the belief system. What got him killed was this statement, stiff-necked people. So what I want to do, and and, and before I do, I felt like uh, I was reading in Psalms, and it says this, Psalms 1830, this God, His way is perfect. The word of the law of the Lord proves true, a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. But that first part, this God, His way is perfect. Is perfect. Let that sink in, right? Because if I were to ask you, are you stiff-necked against God? I think most of us, it, it, unless you're in pride and you're like, no, absolutely not. I am the most tender, teachable. And I think most of us would probably say, man, I have one area where that iron peg has been driven into my leg. And I maybe haven't been responding. This, though... Is what God, this is why God's driving this peg in. This God, His way is perfect. This God, His way is perfect. What we're fighting against is if our imperfect way is better than His perfect way. 
And so I'm challenging us today to, to evaluate our lives, not through the sense of how do we get on track. We're so broken. We're so lost. We're so, we're so in need of God. And I think that's the place that all of us could, should consistently be in. The humble attitude of God. I need you so much because left to my own devices, left to my own flesh, left to my own reasonings, I cannot survive. You know, there's a, uh, I was going to reference this at the end, but I'm going to reference it now. Some of you guys maybe have heard this story, so you can laugh and act like you haven't. (sighs) Anybody ever been bull riding in here? No? Any girls been bull riding? Not to say that it's a man sport, but if you're a girl and you've done it, props. You're a liar. Not, Not the mechanical one, a real flesh... Oh my gosh. Yeah, she has. Yeah, that you would be one who did. A few years ago, and Justin in the back, he was with us on this and he wrote a bull too. A few years ago we were we were going out. Um, I was living in Michigan and it was a pretty rural place where we lived, and a buddy called me who owned a local gym and he said, Hey man, um would you bull ride for a promo for me? And I'm thinking in my mind, like, oh, a retractable, like the ones where, like, you know, I don't, I don't know. The only ones I've seen here are, like, in bars where people just get drunk and do it. <laughs> so, not my cup of tea. Uh, some people in here are like, oh, my gosh, stiff neck, God, I repent. No. <laughs> I don't know why I looked at you, Noah. I don't even know if you've ever done that. <laughs> Oh, definitely Luke has. Anyway, oh, but I, re- I remember, I'm like, I'm like, wait, you, you want us to ride a retractable bull? He's like, no, if you, I want you to ride a real one, I'll pay for it, and I'll get you B-dubs after, which when you're 25, you're like, absolutely. It's like, nowadays, people say B-dubs, and I just like feel my body like cycled down 50 miles an hour. It's like, I, I, I value my internal organs. Anyway... But I remember my, my friends like, listen, I want to pay for a couple guys to go bull riding. We want to get some footage. And, and my gym, it's going to be uh, uh, a, a no bull new year, right? And so their goal is to kind of campaign these new membership prices for the gym. But we just want to get a bunch of guys bull riding. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm in. Free B-dubs. <laughs> so I remember we all go. And it's like in the middle of this like random area called Nuego. And we like show up and... And I'm like checking in and the lady's like, all right, which bull do you want to ride? And I'm like, well, I've never bull ridden before, so whatever the easiest one is. She goes, well, that one only is ridden by the girls. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't care. And it was like, it's like, she's like, you seriously want to ride that one? I'm like, okay, well, I'll go the tier above that. She goes, great, that's Satan's breath. <laughs> I was like, in ministry at the time, should have been big red flag emoji. Oh, like dozens. <laughs> so I remember, I'm like, I'm like, man, how am I? Okay, Satan's breath, we're going to do this. And I remember I'm there with Justin and a couple of the dudes, and we're like watching, and we're like, man, these bulls are like, they're not small. So what happens? I like talk to all the dudes and we're like, all right. And I'm like, I'm going first because I, I recruited all the guys to go. So I'm like, I, I need to leave the church. And I will never forget it. I'm wearing jeans because you have to to bull ride. Fun fact. I get on the bull and my legs cannot even get around the bull. 
It is, the back is that thick. I'm like, I'm straining on it, and I'm like, this is a terrible idea. A guy looks at me, and he's like, you can't bull ride without a cowboy hat. Literally takes his off, puts it on me. I'm just like, it just, we're continuing to digress. Oh, open the gate, open the gate, Satan's breath. We open the gate, and literally, I, I, two bucks, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I am extremely high. And, and I remember now, here's what you need to understand about bull riding is they say when you feel yourself start to slide, you never want to get under the legs. Never. You want to kick off of the bull and in kicking off of the bull, get as far away from those legs as possible so you can roll when you hit the ground and run. So here's, here's how Mike is going. <laughs> so I am literally, I am one buck, two bucks, the, three, the third one I'm starting to slide. And I remember, and I'm like, I'm like feeling the slide. And when you're, when you have that much adrenaline going, you're not thinking like kick off, roll, run. I'm just thinking like, I'm holding on and hoping I don't die. (laughs) And what happens? I slide off, slide off. And I am now, I did not kick off. I am now completely under the legs. And so I fall off on a kick and I'm under, and I remember I'm on the ground looking up like this might be it. And dude, those legs came down on my life. I, I lied about a bruise earlier because on my life, that those legs came down and they kicked me so hard in the leg. I had the thickest jeans on I could, tore a hole through it and bruised both sides of my leg. It stomped so hard it bruised right here and right here. And I got, I literally, now I only got one saw because that was enough of an alarm clock for me to like get up and drag yourself out of here. <laughs> So I, I roll over and I'm like dead, just like, <laughs> and, and I get out of there and Justin, I think you had the longest time, but you're also a country boy. So it's, but I remember, I'll, I'll never forget that because here's the other thing is if you notice anything, and I think this is a tactic of the enemy, whether we want to admit this or not, all of us have been kicked in this life. <coughs> We've all went through seasons of difficulty, all went through seasons maybe where it was almost difficult to stand again, to stand for God, to stand for faith in our lives, to stand and say, Jesus, I want you through pain and through unmet expectation and through relational fracture and brokenness. We've all went through these seasons where we've been under the legs of this life. And I want to challenge you today as we get into some of these points that we must be willing to change the position and the direction of our lives to get out from under not just this life, but the enemy that wants to keep you getting stomped into the ground. See, a defeated mindset is just when you're okay taking loss after loss after loss to the point where you won't even fight for a win anymore. And I want to challenge you because for me, I was on, all it took was one kick and I was fighting to get back up. I believe in Christian circles today and in our world today, it's so easy to take a kick and then, sit, and then call healing and passivity this just sitting under the legs of getting kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked. And God's saying, fight to get on your feet. Fight to run out of this situation. Fight to be aware of stiff neck syndromes that are contributing to the legs that are pounding you into the ground so you cannot get out from underneath them. Fight for a new direction. Fight for a new day. Fight to get back on your feet. 
That's one way to fight against this stiff neck syndrome is to not. When we acknowledge areas of our lives that we have allowed the peg to dig into the leg. Great rhyme. When we've allowed the peg to dig into the leg to fight and say, okay, God, I'm responding. What do you want me to do? Because if we don't respond, Proverbs 29.1, there might become something that produces a brokenness that becomes beyond repair. So with that today, I want to give us just a couple quick things. How to ensure you don't have stiff neck syndrome. Four quick things. The first one, I frequently use these three words. And this isn't me because this is a challenge for me. This is for all of us. Sorry, help, thanks. You want to get out of stiff neck cycles, you start fighting against pride. These three words are pride fighters. And what I want to say specifically is sorry is a pride killer. Help, a pride disruptor. Thanks, a pride diffuser. If we can be people, and these came from a man that I really respect who just wrote an incredible book that I'm blanking on, but I know his name, David Kim. Um... Sorry, help, and thank you. What does it look like for us to institute this into our language? What does it even look like for us to challenge us, to challenge ourselves to say these things once a day? Find a way to say sorry, because believe it or not, you make more mistakes than you think. Find a way for us to ask for help. And it doesn't have to be drastic, but it has to remind our pride that we do not have all the control. And find a way to say thank you. To look at somebody else and say thank you for what you've done for me, not me for myself. When was the last time you used one of these three words? I think some of us in here, we can't even remember. The last time we said sorry, the last time we said help, the last time we said thank you, we genuinely cannot even remember. If you want to measure, if you have pride in your life, measure it through that lens. Because these three words, these three words, there's a cost to saying them sometimes, but the cost is greater to not say them. And that cost, I tell you what, might be a peg in the leg that God's trying to get you to change direction on. Gosh, I'm going to be saying peg in the leg a lot today. (laughs) Second thing, you don't rationalize your way out of everything that's contrary to your own opinion. You know what's sad today is that I genuinely feel like most of the time when you bring up biblical truth or biblical reasoning, it becomes just a debate. It's a rationalization. It's a, well, that's not me. Well, it's, and, and for me personally, this is really sad to see in the church today. I remember a few years ago, I had a guy come to me and he asked me, it was before I was married and he was asking me for marriage advice. He had three kids. And I I looked at him and I said, well, you should go to my dad because my dad has been married for 40 years, has four grown kids. I mean, I would say he's a better. And I remember going to my dad and saying, hey, did this guy come to you for marriage advice? And he said, yeah, he did. And I said, well, what did you say? And he said, well, I gave him a book and I gave him two videos to watch. And I said, when you did these two things to come back to me. So I remember going to that man and I said, hey, I talked to my dad and he said that he'd, he'd talk to you. He said, yeah, but he didn't give me any advice. I said, what do you mean? He said, he didn't help me solve my problem. He just gave me stuff to do. And I was like, I remember thinking to myself like, okay, you're looking for somebody 
to solve your problem, but you're not looking for somebody to give you the things to do to remove the roots of your life that has produced this fruit that you don't want any part of. See, there had been a rationalization of, I don't need advice, I need a way out. And man, how many of us have lived this reality where we come to God and what we're asking for is, God, get me out of something. And God's like, no, I want to reveal why you're in that something. Address why you're in that something and remove that something so you're not in it again. See, rationalization is, God, will you just give me the answers? God, will you just remove me? I can't tell you how many times I'm going to say this. It was super sad. That man ended up divorced. Now, do you think it was God's will to end up divorced? No. But I can tell you this. I know the specific situation and multiple people that went and tried to not give advice, but to give something that would cause revelation. But that wasn't what was wanted. Give me an easy way out. Give me something that will just get the pain away. Give me something that can just... Turn over a new leaf. Start a new direction. And God's like, there's much more to that. I pray that we're not people who rationalize why we're in what we're in. Well, it was just because of this person. Well, it was just because that was bad. Well, it was just because of this situation, season, or setting. But we pursue the depths because I'm telling you, if you can't receive, not just from me on stage, but from people around you, It's only a matter of time before you're not responding to the peg. The third thing is this. I'm exposed routinely to scripture to keep my heart tender. You know, many of us know the turn the the heart of stone into a heart of flesh that's mentioned in in the New Testament. But very few of us maybe know the origination of that text. And it's found in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, a prophet, who's foreshadowing the fact that one day, even in their wickedness, disobedience, and walking away from God, there would be a time where God takes this heart of stone out and puts a heart of flesh. That becomes a prophetic rallying cry that you start to see trickle through in the New Testament. But let me read really quickly, Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will give them one heart. I'll put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of that flesh and give them a heart of flesh. You know what a heart of flesh is? A heart that feels, a heart that bleeds, a heart that's tender. Second one is Ezekiel 36, 26. He references it twice. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What does it look like to be routinely exposed to Scripture? You know, I believe in this day and time, the biblical illiteracy is really where most misconception come from about God. And what we're grappling with here is not just to be a church who can speak the language of how the Bible applies to Christian people, but how does the Bible apply to every sphere, every situation, every circumstance, every struggle in our society today? And we are working actively on this because biblically, I believe there is an answer to absolutely everything. It is all about exposing myself to it again and again to try and find it. Even this week, talking with with people and, and reasoning through what it means to have a biblical understanding behind the, the, the struggles of our day. 
mental issues, sexuality issues, marriage issues, issues of race and injustice. See, these things we can find in Scripture. The question is if we want to be exposed to them. Because this is where it gets sad to me, is I believe that a lot of us, we have questions, but we don't want to be exposed to answers. Because if we're exposed to answers, we now have to confront a truth that may be contrary to his. Who we're going so deep right now, and I don't even care. And I want to challenge you. Keeping your heart tender is just exposing it to the Holy Spirit and his scripture routinely. Finding the truth that can confront yours and then choosing his. Because if you're not choosing his and you're chosen, choosing yours, the only way he maybe will get your attention is through a painful peck. The last thing is this. Rhythmically ask yourself the question, God, show me the areas in which I'm deceived right now. You know, I was challenged on this two weeks ago. We were listening. We were at a conference in San Francisco that was just so intriguing. Um, and in it, they had a, a speaker come up, and he was talking about just the, the, the years and years that he'd been in ministry. And he said, a question I've been waking up with every day and asking myself is this one. God, show me the areas I am deceived right now. And he said, because I'm tired of looking back on my life and saying, man, why did I function like that? Why did I do that? Like, where did that thinking come through, from? Why did, I, why did I treat that person that way? I'm tired of looking back wondering what I was doing instead of exposing myself to the corrective nature of God's voice in Scripture in the here and now. I want to challenge you today. Show me the areas. In which I am deceived. And these aren't things that I'm not asking myself. And I can tell you this. I have answers to this question right now written in my prayer journals. Things I have been deceived on. That now I can correct. But the goal of this topic today. And this passage of scripture. And this understanding of stiff-neckedness. Is not for us to recognize we have areas we've not been responding to God. The goal of this today was to recognize we've had areas we've not been responding to God and to now start to respond. Let's stand to our feet. If you've been here any length of time, you know that I just read a prayer over our congregation of this content. So whatever your posture of receiving is, I pray that this prayer would meet you where you are. God, today would you make us tender. Not to stiffen up and bristle when you challenge and direct us. But to be those who are not just willing to listen. But we obey even unto cost. We repent when we have bucked against you, questioned your authority and intention, and doubted your goodness. You are the vine, and we accept that we are the branches. May our obedience produce the fruit that makes the branch sag under the weight of bountiful harvest. 
May we never waver in our belief that you have our best intentions in mind. Or that you know the deep desires of our hearts. And that in the times we feel you forcing us in a new direction that is uncomfortable, we submit. Develop the image in our minds of your hand guiding us away from the hot stove we so innocently seek to touch. Today we say sorry. We need help. And we're thankful to you that you're our Heavenly Father. We lay our opinions and rationalizations at your feet. May you place a desire, burden, and instilled behavior to rhythmically assess our lives through your word and spirit. God, may we never be deceived by our unconscious awareness that we fail to take inventory of. We release the tension today of stiffening ourselves for the fight of control. And God, we trust it is you in control. We find rest and assurance that it has not and will never be all on us. For we have chosen a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light, from a Savior that is gentle and lowly of heart toward his creation. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.